Oh, I'm going to I'm going to say something. I, I have a big fucking mouth and a half a cup of coffee in front of me. Welcome to this week's episode of Load In, Load Out, a tour story podcast produced in Athens, Georgia, in association with Kindercore Industries. Our guest this week is Patrick Ferguson, drummer for the legendary Athens band 5-8. He's a former member of the Powder Room, and he's currently out on the road with Mike Mills of R.E.M. and his new orchestral project. Ryan and Cash sat down with Patrick to talk burning tour transportation, hot pursuit through the streets of Birmingham, Alabama, and adversarial live sound mixing techniques. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm Cash. This is Load In. Load Out. And we're here today with Patrick Ferguson. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Uh, so tell us about your origin story. What's the What's the beginning for you in playing music, and where were you? Well, I um, I grew up in in South Central Georgia in Columbus, Georgia, mm-hmm. and um, my mother was a soprano, uh, opera singer, and um, she gave up music when my brother and I were born, really. And for a lot of reasons. Um, and you're twins, right? Yeah, I have yeah. a twin brother, David, um, who's also a musician and a singer and writes for The Raw Story now. Um, yeah. We grew up in this fairly musical household, although music as a career was never encouraged, was actively discouraged. <laughs> yeah, sounds and, like um, mine. <laughs> yeah. And so, but I, I, um, I just, you know, I was obsessed with music. I grew up hearing a lot of Appalachian music around my grandparents and then... Got into you know the same stuff every eighth grader gets into and heavy metal like Night Ranger and stuff and yeah, yeah. somewhere along in there heard Fresh Fruit Rotting Vegetables by the Dead Kennedys and my uh-huh. whole life just veered <laughs> um, and I I wanted to be a drummer in a punk band from like the age of fifteen on started yeah. my first little skate rock band um, with, in Columbus yeah yeah called Sinister Dreams nice um, <laughs> that's great yeah and it it was kind of at the time, that was when like DRI and a bunch of the um, like punk metal stuff was happening. Uh-huh. Suicidal Tendencies was uh, sort of bending that genre, and we were kind of a thrash metal yeah. thing. And um, they'd one show in Atlanta, which was a big deal, man. Yeah, I bet driving up from Columbus to do yeah, that barely yeah. old enough to drive. Yeah, and play the Metroplex and and um, to nobody. Uh, <laughs> but it was exciting. <laughs> I bet it didn't matter. Yeah, exactly. No, God, yeah. fuck no. It was, it was so amazing. Um, <laughs> And then Ben Burdett, the guitar player, was this math genius and went off to college to University of Chicago. And okay. I did two years at the community college there and then came up here and okay. dropped into the Athens music scene. There was a period of time where I was living in Washington, D.C., and I ended up playing in a blues band there. I was uh-huh. the only um, like white kid in this all oh wow like like northern D.C., southern Maryland yeah. blues party band. Yeah, a cabaret band they called it. it yeah, was, yeah. We would do uh, lots of did some original blues stuff, but mostly like uh, Motown covers. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was that must have been an education. Well, for a guy whose primary you know musical 
experience up to that point was Thrasher magazine right. compilations. It was a big change. Yeah, you know? I bet. Were they constantly telling you to chill out? Yes. <laughs> so people, that, people are still constantly telling you to chill out. <laughs> Gene's always like, uh, when I was playing with Powder Room, you know, Gene was always like, that was good, except it was about twice as fast. Right. You know, so yeah. that yeah, remains yeah. a uh, struggle to this day, 30 okay. years later. Yeah, it always happens to me, but it only happens live like I know that I play fast live and I like playing fast live but in practice I'll be like alright I'm gonna tone it down a little bit but live it's like <laughs> I, I play fast in practice <laughs> I get excited I yeah. mean, when I joined the powder it's exciting. room we've, we've leapt ahead 25 years but when I joined powder room I was so stoked to be in that band yeah. um, that I would was just like little kid behind the kit just so stoked because I loved that band so much before yeah. I joined and yeah then, then I would get excited and, and speed up. So. <laughs> yeah, And I absolutely. tried every kind of solution to that. Like I had a little LED thing that would chase a, a MIDI code from a drum machine and it would oh. flash the tempo. Yeah. But man, when you're playing, you know, at those speeds, it, yeah. it's the fucking You just start to roll past that and you're it like, It just yeah, looks whatever. like the light on the front of the garbage truck. And kind right. Of, you know, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> There's no real pattern on that thing. No, <laughs> no, it's just random. So when did you move to town? So I did two years in community college in Columbus, Georgia, what's now called Columbus State University. Yeah. We used to call Sounds it. Sounds really fancy now, right? Yeah, we used to call it UCLA, <laughs> University of Columbus, <laughs> alongside the airport. <laughs> but, Excellent. Uh, I moved up here to go to college and dropped into the early '90s Athens music scene and immediately yeah. quit school. Yeah, it was like I yeah. was. It was about long enough for a cup of coffee to get cold, and I was like, "And you're like, I'm done. I think I'm done with college." Yeah, I did. I did play. And there was another band in Columbus I forgot to mention um, that was a real life changing experience because in my first year of college, Ben had moved off. Ben Burdett, my buddy, who I was in my first band with, had moved off to college, and and I ended up with like mod rock band heavily mm. influenced by the jam okay and we played our first show was that my first real live show it may have been i think the metroplex show with sinister dreams happened when ben came home for a christmas holiday so it's my first live show ever oh wow and it was it, there was a it was a gay bar in columbus called the deep purple lounge and okay it was um like an underground i heard a report recently there was a guy talking about the first gay bar to have windows in America. Oh, wow. You know? Because they were all underground, always underground. Right, because it was yeah. such a, it was, you know. Let's say it's pretty progressive for Columbus to have had a gay bar in the late 80s. Well, there, I mean, ones, there were always gay people there. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, at some point, right. someone bit the bullet and decided to serve drinks. And right. Suddenly, yeah. everyone had a place to gather. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that people maybe overestimate how cloistered society is because we all lived through the 80s and how things are backed up. Yeah. You know, to, yeah. To, to like try to, you know, well, I don't want to get political and that's boring. But, all right, go ahead. <laughs> but I think that we took a big step backwards as far as openness in society. Yeah. I remember the 70s. I'm old enough that my mom was a civil rights activist. And, yeah. And we had people in and out of the house who were super progressive. You yeah. know, and I was like, all these people have good jobs and they're all sharing the same cigarette. That's so weird. <laughs> um, but, um, Jazz but yeah, I mean, my mom worked for the Urban League and, and, and she would have my mom and dad would have these parties on, uh, and they had big party. And my dad worked at the college; he was in the Air Force Reserves and teaching political science. And all his friends would show up at six thirty, yeah, with their families. Very and, serious, right? And, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they would have dinner. And yeah, they would talk. <laughs> and they'd smoke pipes. And, yeah, you know. And 
around 9.30, they'd start saying, well, you know, we got church in the morning. And they would start packing up, and they would clear out. My parents would run around emptying ashtrays and and, yeah. uh, and, and like refreshing the table with the snacks and stuff. And then uh-huh. at 10.30, my mom's friends would show up. <laughs> it was like a shift change. That's great. And... Um, and the and the real party would start, and I was I was supposed to be in bed by then, but I remember sitting in the hallway listening to the spinners and the four tops and oh, all the yeah. Motown stuff that my mom's friends liked, and thinking, God, the music is so much better when my mom's friends are here. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> what were your dad's friends listening to? Uh, they didn't really listen Two to music. Just no music on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. But um, I remember that being a lot more open time like, yeah you know yeah everybody smoked weed with their college professor and then something right. happened in the 80s and we took this big step backwards yeah ronald reagan yeah yeah well i wasn't gonna say it but i'll say yeah it. yeah um, <laughs> but i think that uh we're sort of beginning to kind of move forward again as a culture right. and a society but there was definitely a gay bar in columbus because there were always gay there have always been gay people and they gathered there and, right and and the Exception, which was the name of my little mod punk band, played nice. our show there. Name. And I used to, like, I bought my first drum set by uh, opening oysters at parties. Like, my dad's college professor friends would have these big keg parties, and they'd have a, a trash can full of ice and oysters yeah. from the Gulf of Mexico. And I would, I had a little steel knife, and I would mm-hmm. pop open oysters and cut the top and bottom, and then put them on the half shell and people would stand there and drink beer and eat oysters and I would charge $40 a bushel and I bought wow. first drum set cost 250 bucks and I had to buy it and not tell my parents and hide it at my, my friend Eddie Sasser's house <laughs> hide a drum set that's yeah <laughs> um, that's Eddie's easy. mom Eddie's so mom. like we're, your mom's like I was a musician you're not being a oh, musician so there's, a, there's some backstory there yeah. I don't want to get too buried in it but my mom was a, a musician and, and a performer and in the 60s, in the early 70s, and people were treating their stage fright with Valium and alcohol. Uh, yeah. And people started dying. Yeah. And a bunch of my mom's friends, there's a car accident, I remember. Mm. Somebody died, wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and was drinking and driving, and someone else OD'd and, on pills, and someone else drank and combined alcohol. And, and she lost three or four friends in like a nine-month period. And oh, she, wow. And of course, at that time... Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison were all dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my mom was like, you're not playing music. She just associated yeah. that with all of the things well, that you went know, along with it. And yeah. I, I can understand that. I mean, there's a part of me that it's not for reasons like that. Like Brighton, my daughter was playing drums and, and was taking guitar lessons for a little while. Where I'm like, I know how difficult of a life, as much as I love it, I know how difficult of a life this is. Do I really want to subject her <laughs> to that? Where like... Valid question. Yeah. I think it's a valid question. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I, you know, like, I love it, but here I am almost 40, and I'm still doing musically the same thing I did when I was 19, which is great and fine, but it's really, really difficult, and it's hard. It's the hardest job I've ever had in my life, and I've had a lot of hard jobs. I think every musician over 30 has had to nurse a goddamn toothache. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, without medical insurance. Oh my god, I had I had you know. thirty plus kidney stones without insurance. 
Jesus yeah. Christ. It was unbelievable. Right. I have half of them saved in a jar at home. Yeah, it was it was insane. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, health insurance, I mean, it's, yeah. Like, I mean, being a musician and living without that stuff is just, it's a totally different class of living. My kiddo runs through the house and grabs the bass guitar, and I want to, like, steer her towards an accounting book. <laughs> right, right. <you> know? <laughs> I love you, baby, but that's, that's maybe not the right choice. So my mom had a lot of those feelings yeah. also. Uh, I think people underestimate that rock and roll culture was still considered to be a, um, a dangerous undertaking. Deviant. Yeah, like, yeah. and my grandparents never really fully came around to the idea that I was a professional musician. Yeah. And so they actively sought to discourage me from playing music. So the, the exceptions first show comes and I get my mom <laughs> to drop me off. I'm like 15 uh-huh. at Eddie Sasser's house. Eddie's mom was a single parent and therefore working two jobs. And we could get away and didn't have a phone. Right, back when you could not have a phone, yep. so I could go over there and like, bye, mom. Yeah, you know, and yeah, then, and then there's that period where you're just off the grid for a while, right? And, she and the band picked me up, and we went to the venue. Yeah, um, and um, so we played the gay bar, uh-huh. and people bought me beers. Uh-huh. And I smoked cigarettes. How old were you at this point? Like, probably s- not quite sixteen. So, okay, fifteen, yeah. and we played the show, and I was drunk and. <laughs> Had an, we were a terrible band, but I had such an amazing time. And then ended up like in my ex-girlfriend's mom's station wagon with my current girlfriend and her, you know, yeah. first threesome. That was the end of law school or Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, this is what I will do forever. Yeah. <laughs> Alcohol yeah. and uh, this know, is music. Like, this is my new life. Like, <laughs> it just kicked everything else right in the ass, you know. <laughs> We hope you're enjoying this week's episode of Load In, Load Out. Head on over to iTunes and hit us up with a review or visit us at kindercore.com where you'll find a plethora of pinatas. We're always taking donations, trying to keep the lights on, and we're worried that our exotic dancing careers aren't quite taking off the way we had envisioned. So your contributions are appreciated. As is often the case, our music this week comes from the incredible live music archive at southernshelter.com. Go there, enjoy the music, and beat that donation button with a bat. When you got to Athens, you I mean, you're known for playing with 5-8. I mean, right. And you still play with 5-8, right? I, yeah, I mean, it, took me, it took me about uh, 10 months to, to end up in 5-8. I saw them almost immediately after arriving here, and they were immediately my favorite band. So they had another drummer originally? Mike Palmatier. Okay. Great drummer, great guy. Um and uh, lives in Atlanta now. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked at Armstrong at Dobbs. And um, I had seen 5-8, and Mike played a Fender Strat through a twin, and it reminded me of the sound of the Husker Du records I really loved. Yeah. I loved Husker Du. Yeah. And, uh, but he sang, he had this clear, almost bell-like voice, and it was this great contrast. And I thought, man, I love that band so much. Yeah. And, um, I saw them a few times, and then Palmatier got into an industrial accident oh, no. at Armstrong and Dobbs. He had about 3,000 pounds of sheetrock fall on his kick drum foot. Holy shit. Like from the knee down, it was just crushed. Oh. So they had to rebuild it. And 5-8 took some time off. And then they were like, hey, maybe maybe Patrick can fill in because yeah. I was a big fan. And um, so I did. And I, I did a couple of practices with them. We never played any shows as 5-8 with me in the band, but they were able to continue writing. Mike's constant writer, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then... They went to New York and they played CBGBs and Richard Robinson saw them. He was a um, producer and his wife, Lisa Robinson. Um, I don't know if I can 
was some say <laughs> that the character Bobby Fleckman in Spinal Tap is based oh, on wow. Lisa Robinson. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, okay. And um, that's awesome. Yeah. And, She's so great. Yeah. And, and man, I, you know, I eventually met Lisa um, way down the road. She worked in A&R for Walter Yannikoff, the head of CBS Records. Okay. He, his comeback label was the major label that signed 5-8 okay. and, and, and sold a thousand records. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> um, but Richard had said, I love this band. It needs another guitar player. Mm. And so if you guys find another guitar player, I will... I'll get you a development deal and get you signed to CBS. Yeah. And so like, they, okay, give me a second. I'll let me get, make a phone call. Well, yeah. Interestingly, at the time, and this goes back to our earlier discussion about the demonization of rock and roll yeah. when I was a kid, there were a lot less musicians then. Yeah. Um, Even whenever I was younger and there, true. started touring in the mid-90s, there was a lot less musicians then as well. Yeah. I think the megachurch thing is really like, Huh. Uh, uh, rock and roll has lost its stigma as a you know clear pathway to destruction and yeah, yeah. Satanism and heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. And that's what my parents saw it as. Now people like take their kid to Guitar Center and buy a yeah. fun Les Paul for their thirteenth birthday. And, right. You know. So when they said go find another guitar player, Five Eight launched a search. Yeah. You know, amongst their friends and associates, and had a series of auditions. And this woman uh, named Kelly, who played a pink Stratocaster. Uh huh. Uh, who was a stewardess for Delta, showed up for rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. And she didn't get the gig, but Mike fell madly in love with her. <laughs> I mean, was just like, after the rehearsal, was like, do you want to get a drink? And yeah. um, they're still married. Uh, wow. But she moved to Boston, and Mike went with her. And okay. so Dan called me and said, do you want to be the drummer in 5-8? Which was a dream come true for me. It was my favorite band. Yeah, yeah. So when was that? When Like trying to figure out. 89, if- 90. Okay, cool. And then I joined the band. We played our first show was live on WREK mm-hmm. um, in like August, I think nineteenth of of nineteen ninety. Wow, it's um, a good memory. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the funny things about Five Eight. Sean, it doesn't remember um, yesterday. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, and I remember everything. Everything. Yeah, <laughs> I've been told that nicotine is a. Um, memory enhancer really and i used to smoke like a lot yeah and so yeah, through yeah. all those years i was burning <laughs> a pack to two packs a day of camel straights yeah i remember everything so wow that's yeah. amazing yeah so we played uh, rek and then we played the rec room like six days later and and that was the beginning of being five eight yeah that's and, awesome so who was the other guitarist you guys ended up getting we didn't actually end up with another guitar player around about that time was when the sony was uh, bought Columbia and CBS and Walter Yetnikoff, who was sort of patron of the Robinsons, Lisa and Chris. Uh, Chris? That's not his name. Richard. Richard mm-hmm. Robinson. Um, and that whole thing kind of fell apart. So we, we never really settled on another guitar player. I mean, it, it sounds insane now that you could, couldn't could put up a flyer that said... Right. Yeah, totally. We need another guitar player. I mean, first of all, there was no Craigslist. There was no internet. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Know? Just so kiosk you, downtown or you the communicated or via whatever. kiosk, yeah. right. Yeah. Word of mouth. And Mike and Dan were relatively recent transplants from up north. And, and also then, there was still a pretty steep cultural divide between Binghamton, New York, and Athens, Georgia. And, uh-huh. So their circle of friends was fairly small, and and they just didn't find the guitar player. And I joined it, and we almost immediately started touring. And it just kind of went by the wayside until two years later, we played a show at Little Five Points at the point. Mm -hmm. We were pretty successful by then, and Sean Dunn, Uh who's the guitar player, second guitar player now, 
who really liked the band, basically uh, said, I'm going to come on the road with you guys this weekend and play some songs. And I was like, okay. And he just threw his amp in the <laughs> Did van. Did you know him? Was he a friend or was he I mean, just a guy talked, who liked the band? Yeah. You know, but he, but he, it, it would be like one of us just like, you know, I'm going to fucking join Wilco. And yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And just throwing your amp in the van. <laughs> And um, nobody wanted to say get it out, so right. it was like okay. And it I guess took we'll about go. two weeks of shows with him, and he had pretty much made himself indispensable, and he yeah. joined the band. Wow, um, that's a good strategy. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like the Sienna strategy of like, oh yeah, I'm in the band. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. That's, so that's so great. Sean joined the band. We we ended up with a record deal with Sky Records out of Atlanta, mm-hmm. which was in. Damon Records and Sky Records were kind of under one umbrella. Amy Ray had, was yeah. was sort of part of that, um, and uh, there were a bunch of really good bands on Sky. and And we went out to San Francisco to Brilliant Studios to make our first big record, and that was a disaster. Um, <laughs> the, the process, you mean, or the? I think now there's a lot of things better about being in a rock band now. One of them is that you start your recordings in the living rooms of your friends, right? right. You know, yeah, they've yeah. got a inbox or whatever the yeah. like entry level. Pro Tools recording rig is, and you learn how to record, but right. we never recorded to speak of. We so did you just some... showed up and you're like, all right, what do we do? Now what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we were, everything was quieter. Like, you're, also, <laughs> you have to understand that there's a, this was a, the, the recording approach to, to recording volume and drum miking and mixing was, mm-hmm. we were sort of pushing a wave of like Nirvana hadn't happened yet yeah. and people didn't really understand the sounds we were going for. Right. And big we were, loud guitars. And yeah. Big, I mean, yeah. We, we were, we were sort of ahead of a curve. We're of, trying to contain it too much. Uh, yeah. 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 You need to turn that down. Why? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's too loud. <laughs> like, but that's you know, that we're in a rock band, sound. right? You know? right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I think it's kind of like what I've heard stories about the Sonics and how they when they went to the studio, it was completely different. Like I don't know if it's true, but I've always heard that the Sonics were the band that coined the term punk rock. And uh, when they go in the studio, they would always want to be loud and they want to tear everything down. Right. And everyone was like, No, 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 no. This the, no, this is a studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not how it gotta, works. Gotta like, right. like we'll turn it up whenever we go to mix it. Like no, no, no. We want that loud, like yeah. on right. the verge of breaking uh, the speaker sound. Well, there's a connotative emotional um, aspect to the sound of a guitar speaker that's about to fucking give up. Right, yeah, exactly. And yeah. you couldn't tell engineers that then. Yeah. Right. I it's remember just not what they were wanting to do. Yeah, everything was so contained by that point. Well, and you'd open Mix Magazine, and it would be these like pastel <laughs> Miami Vice looking rooms with white fixtures and right. you know a drum room with a sliding glass door. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. It was just set up for everyone wanted to record Eagles records. And, yeah, you know, I always found that to be weirdly disheartening. Like as a young person going to play in a studio the first couple times, and you're like, wait a minute. This is uh, like you were saying. This is too quiet. This is weird. I don't. Yeah. I can't see everybody. Like we're not in this. There's the energy's not there. Right. Do you feel like was that what came out mm-hmm. that you felt like that was the totally? Problem? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And then there was also the aspect of like mixing, and they'd put these big wet plate verbs on the snare drum and right. muffle the kick drum and right. And you're like, yeah. dude, come on. Man, what? Nothing drives me more nuts than that. <laughs> bass drum like, I think I like, rolled my eyes so hard you could hear it on the radio yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> but I mean it's like you know you, you you hear some of these albums and you're like man this would be a great album but I cannot get past the that 80s early 90s drum bass drum 
sound like have you heard yeah have you heard the steve albini re-recording of the uh in color the cheap trick record no so cheap trick went into electrical steve albini never recorded records that sounded like that ever yeah he came out of the box like big boomy drums yeah yeah aggressive guitars and um at some point, Cheap Trick in the 90s was in his studio, like 1996 or 97. Yeah. And they just recut the entirety of, of, of uh, In Color. Wow. Is it, it's In Color, right? It's not Living Color. I'm, I don't know. Living Color. Uh, I think it's In Color. The, the first big Cheap Trick record, and they never liked the sound of it. So they just went and recorded that record over again. Right. And yeah. it was was ne- it released? No. <laughs> Why not? Uh, oh, I guess right. <laughs> Another thing young people don't know about today right. yeah. is how Byzantine the record industry used right, to be. Right, right. Yeah, how you would right, fucking yeah. sell your soul. Right now, you just put it on the internet. But I mean, yeah, I remember. Uh, do you you remember Little Red Rocket, that band? Of course. Was yeah. Well, my were you in Little Red Rocket or no, something? No, my ex wife was. Oh, okay. Yeah. There, okay. <laughs> I felt like. Felt, kind of knew there was a yeah right. okay but i just remember that their deal where like they had signed a deal with somebody uh geffen maybe i think it was or somebody and then they yeah. weren't individually because they didn't want to release their the label didn't want to release their album then individually all of them owed an album to yeah. the label and then they couldn't even the drummer who had his own thing that was how i knew about them right was through lewis the drummer who had his this whole album and this whole project that he wanted to put out but he was like legally bound from yeah, doing well, that i mean that's what i'm afraid of a blunt bangs and i had to make sure reggie would pa- would because like they're still signed or were signed to columbia black kids are still signed and yeah, they, they yeah. N- not anymore now but i mean yeah. like they when we started blunt bangs i was like you need to get in touch with those labels and make sure that we can put out a record because you're still on contract with them yeah it's insane yeah yeah and there are people who are nostalgic for it yeah <laughs> and i'm just yeah. like yeah that's the what? good part. That's the part that it, that we should be happy is gone from the right. Industry. I was like, yeah. "What the fuck planet did you live on yeah. in the '90s?" You know, yeah, like, yeah. Totally. I mean, I guess you know, there's people who recouped and were in the sort of fraction of one percent of people that made money off their records. But I've yeah. never been more happy to bury a stinking corpse in my entire life. Right. I For love real. Bandcamp. Bandcamp is amazing. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, the right know, access and, to and, and is, there, there are some people in uh, Athens who. Uh, will disagree with me and maybe we won't get them by making the statement but i like spotify yeah i enjoy spotify i just put spotify on my phone i've had google play for like a year and my my membership lapsed at the year point because my credit card that i used to sign up for it expired and i was kind of tired of like oh, i want to get this record oh i have to pay for it well, what am i paying i've already paid for google play why am i yeah. gonna pay for jason Isbell's new record i mean not that i wouldn't but sure it always kind of confused me because there was some stuff that i i mean like the, the Isbel stuff I'm been like that's like that's on every device I own it's like the bible but there's yeah. other stuff I just want to dip into and see if I like it mm-hmm. like, like yeah. I just checked out this band Sylvanesso from Durham which I really uh-huh. like I've heard good things about them I haven't heard them yet but yeah I've heard uh, that yeah. they're great that's yeah. the bass player from Megaphone okay uh, oh okay yeah. Megaphone was like the Abbott Brothers but with like a pretty healthy dose of mushrooms kind of stirred in <laughs> yeah. you know? like I really loved Megaphone they yeah. were super creative and their bass player is like went like hard left turn into glitchy kind of oh crazy like sequence stuff well yeah i I mean the thing about spotify is i buy i mean right now we're all broke trying to get this plant up and going but uh i buy a lot of records me too and i can't put all those records on my devices like i can't put them all on my phone i don't have enough space Mm -hmm. so spotify everything's on spotify and i can 
A, listen to the whole album, but also make a mix of all the new albums that I have and listen to that. Right. And yeah. it's 10 bucks a month. And like right. now I w- wish that they would pay their artists more and being someone who's on Spotify, that would right. be nice. The, the question yeah. is not, will it work? Right. It has to work. Right. Yeah. It's you the know? way things are. And it, this yeah. is the future. You can yeah, right. like live in the nineties and be nostalgic for that and cry about it all you want or you can get on <laughs> with your life. Yeah. And the bottom line is this is how it's going to work. And I still bought Jason Isbell's vinyl, and right. I'll still continue to buy vinyl, and I'll still continue to go to shows. People used to listen to the radio. Right. right. Now I have control over the radio. Exactly. I mean, yeah. you didn't get paid much from the radio anyway. Yeah. Well, and there's people who are like, well, you know, um, we used to get uh, money from BMI or ASCAP for radio plays. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, like it says there were 25,000 people listening <laughs> at any given time to the radio. Yeah. You got one streaming listener, you make a couple of pennies. I know it doesn't seem like much money, but it... it I mean, ultimately, you have to get your music out there, and right. that's yeah. that's how you get paid for it. Yeah. It's it's like you know, uh, I I see it like a redistribution of wealth, right? Like, yes, some of the bigger artists are losing money, but these smaller artists who would never have gotten on the radio can get on Spotify, and people will listen to them. I, so I, so yeah. so it's like, yeah, Radiohead, I understand you're not putting in rainbows on Spotify because you're losing money. Fuck you. You're always going to have a lot of money. But now my band, the Cadets, is on Spotify, and I can let people listen to it who never would have listened to it ever before. I, I think this is the greatest time to be a musician in my lifetime because the distribution network is completely flat and we can walk out of getting a record mastered at Joel Hestad's house Mm -hmm. and 15 minutes later our fan in Belfast Northern Ireland can fucking hear the record yeah I mean the biggest fall failure of of 5.8's we spent a quarter of a million dollars making gasolina really wow of recoupable dollars yeah like that was money that we borrowed from yeah an angel investor called our record label and we made right. this record. Yeah. They couldn't ship deep enough to sell the records. Like we would play in Birmingham and there'd be three records in the whole city. Right. You know? Yeah. We'd play, people would like what we did, and then they go to the record store and the record wouldn't be but there. But it's a flash. You have to it has to be there when they want it. And They're they had come no back a week later. Other way to buy the record. Right. You know? I so mean, it's like they might have wanted it, but like two months later they haven't found the record, they've forgotten about you. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Or, you know, Little yeah. Red Rocket would come through and they'd be like, well, I got to get that record. You yeah. Know? And people had a finite amount of dollars to chase an yeah. infinite amount of music. So. Yeah. So 5-8, uh, this is one of my favorite numbers from the 5-8 days, is we did 200 to 220 shows a year from 1991 to 1997. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that was, I moved here in 93, and I remember you guys being like one of the hardest working bands. We around. were just gone all the time. Yeah. And the reason for that is that we had heard that the reason that REM was successful is because they played every pizza restaurant right. and, and bar with a stage in it in, mm-hmm. in the southeast and they did some even smarter stuff I, I now know about. But at some point, their original manager found out that people bought more records per capita in Ohio than any other state. So they hit Cleveland and Columbus and took and, doing that circle through yeah. the yeah. 
It made it work. Yeah. You know, they just got out there and sold records. The heart of rock and roll was in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> why is it, why is, why, why Cleveland for the yeah. Rock and Hall of Fame? That's I, a, I wonder that too. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is some reason, but I don't know yeah. what it is. Maybe yeah. it's because they wanted to make sure that they had your complete attention. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're, you're not coming here for anything else. Right. right. It's just oh, the it's one November thing that you're here for. and then the Indians aren't playing. Let's go to the museum. You know? Right. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so you get out on the road and we and, really get out on the road. In yeah. the early days, we did some, we did play with the Archers of Loaf a lot uh-huh. and um, we never really, <clears throat> we could never really connect with Super Chunk. We were big fans. Yeah. And they would play Athens and we'd be in Spokane, you know. Yeah, right. Um, God, so, I remember seeing them in the Archers so many times at yeah. the Atomic. There was a couple of years there where it was like, man, those are some great shows. Yeah. yeah. That Archers show last i missed it. oh man yeah. it was the best rock show i went to uh, in 2016 full yeah. stop i, I agree also like I, I watched i would go see arches of loaf growing up i used to live in jackson with einstein's go-go and uh, i don't know if you guys ever played that have we talked about that because we definitely played einstein's yeah maybe when we i, we I remember meeting for, you out yeah. in front of um i forget what show it was at uh, caledonia we might have talking about talking we might have talked about that yeah uh but yeah i mean archers that that was the best i'd ever seen them right like last year yeah amazing it was crazy how like they were always good but they Keep were amazing hey ryan <laughs> you know the archers show that you missed yeah, yeah i heard about it it was fucking <laughs> amazing <laughs> so i keep hearing uh it comes up a lot actually and i'm yeah. like man seriously uh, yeah, that was so good you guys we played, played we played i mean fucking, we five eight played name a bar you played we it. played there. yeah we played milk bar in uh, jacksonville yeah. or was that in orlando no that, that was in jacksonville and we played um, moto lounge yeah played there played einstein's we at the einstein's we opened for the other band that cracker i mean that um camper van beethoven became the um monks of doom we, okay. we toured with them and played there so okay yeah it's a special place i mean i've talked about it on this podcast but i mean they're, they're there are several bands like I think there was a Mud Honey interview somewhere that was saying that that was their favorite place to play. Super Chunk's favorite place to play. It's in like the, the um, Sonic Youth's tour store, tour diaries, and stuff right. all over the place. There was like a um, there were two sisters that yeah, Tammy place. and Terry. Yeah, and I was basically raised by Tammy, and they would cook for us. Yeah, they made black beans and they God. made. And they they had an apartment upstairs right. that you could stay. I in. stayed in that apartment one <laughs> night and woke up. I was there was a disturbance in the street as I was sleeping. <laughs> I heard people shouting and calling each other names and I I sat up and looked out the window. And there were ten guys fighting in the street. But it's not like a four on six or five on five. There was one guy against nine guys. Oh my god. Ten times. Like <laughs> just a melee. Just going through it. I don't know yeah. what the happened to these guys, but they were just fighting each other, all fighting all at once. And yeah. I was like, Wow. <laughs> Okay. Was, and Einstein's is down literally on the beach. Yeah. So, like, these are all drunk assholes down at the beach in Jacksonville, Florida. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. Still a cool club. Love yeah, playing cool. there. Yeah. So, so, we hit it hard and we played yeah. a lot. Um, yeah. And played with a bunch of amazing bands that nobody's even heard of. There was a band called Antic Hay, mm-hmm. which is the name of a Aldous Huxley book, A N T I C space H A Y. I don't know if there are any. Um, recordings of that band yeah but they were absolutely brilliant we played with them in norfolk 
in Virginia Beach a bunch. And One of those were, lost bands that sort of, yeah. Should have been bigger. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. So many of them. There have been tons. God, I yeah. can think of like 10 off the top of my head. Yeah. There's so many of them. And the thing about it is, especially back then, when there wasn't all this like home recording, right. some of the best musicians that you ever met, no one has ever heard of because become being brilliant and being geniuses, they also weren't very good with people. Right. You can bum yourself yeah. out lying awake at night wondering who the guy that like Robert Johnson was scared of. Right. You know, because <laughs> yeah. he didn't get recorded because right. he was maybe a little more dangerous of a human being. Right. And Alan Lomax was like, I'm not going near that guy. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So getting out on the road as much as you guys did, clearly you ran into some shit while you were out there. <laughs> My God. Um, did you guys have a reliable <laughs> van or were you one of the many of us that has toured in a total beater that... I've been in, I was in total beaters like four months ago. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Our first fan was a, um, the, well, our first trip to CBGB's. I went to, mm. I played CBGB's before I was legally old enough to walk in the front door. Nice. I was 20 years old. And we borrowed a Volkswagen bus from somebody's, <laughs> somebody's crush. Somebody had a crush on a girl and she had a boyfriend who oh, had wow. a Volkswagen van. Sure, that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. And it's a hell of a van to drive on a, <laughs> we went to Asheville in it and played the Squash Pile, which was an all-ages show there that tons of Athens bands played at, like Roosevelt and and, yeah. uh, and the early incarnations of Hayride, I think, played there. And, uh-huh. and we took that van all the way to New York City. Wow. And dropping parts, you know, just oh, yeah. shit fall off of that thing. <laughs> we just had a pile of parts for this guy who we didn't even know. Put him in know. the box and bring him back with you. Right. It was exactly what this we did. all the stuff that fell out of your face <laughs> on the way. <laughs> exactly what happened. <laughs> I mean, we were crossing uh, the bridge from Long Island. I don't know which bridge it was, and I'm not going to risk the ire of hundreds of New Yorkers who are going to be like, that's a Verrazzano Nero, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. um, we're crossing the bridge, and on the Volkswagen steering column, there's uh-huh. a U-clamp, yep. and the turn signal sits on that U-clamp, and the wire that actuates the horn goes through that. And okay. if you turn the wheel <laughs> yeah. too The far, horn starts hogging. It'll pull the horn thing taut and then it'll start honking and it doesn't matter how you straighten it back so we cross the bridge behind a dump truck just like <laughs> and it's the wimpiest horn too those horns are just <laughs> all the way across the bridge man. I'm like this guy's gonna get out with a tire iron and kill us all what did you rip did you rip the steering wheel off to get it <laughs> I eventually was like I'm the only but now those guys are like Mike now much more mechanical. But at the time, those guys were just like, you know, <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, someone get a hammer. And I just reached over and turned the U clamp. And oh, nice. Off. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It took me the entire trip across the bridge to be like, what the fuck is happening? How is this working? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, and so I imagine you must have entered some danger in all of those years on tour. Have you ever, did you ever have any situations, you know, where you felt like, oh shit, this might be it. We might not make it out of this, this guy or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the look, I wish everybody could have seen that. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I heard every time you guys have talked about this, Texas law enforcement yeah, has man. come up. And classic dangerous yeah dangerous i don't state. know what it is about texas man but you yeah. always get pulled over and so everything's bigger in texas <laughs> including the assholes yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh you mean the like asshole person i thought you were yeah. applying a prison thing no 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 that's bad man no 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 um no hi mom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we did get pulled over a couple times in texas my favorite yeah. law enforcement interaction we were going to play in in uh, portland maine and we, uh-huh. we crossed the main border and there's a toll booth there and the guns and roses was playing in portland the same <laughs> night so okay. the state patrol was out yeah and we come into the toll booth and it's one of those situations where you pick up a ticket 
Mm-hmm. And then you drive to your exit and you pay at the exit. Yeah. But Mike didn't know that coming oh, in. Geez. And he stopped 40 feet shy of the toll booth. And yeah. then just it's like, where's my fucking wallet? And just oh, no. like, was throwing stuff all over the van. And then he found his wallet as I was going, just pull up. You just get a ticket. You just like a lot of our oh, conversations. Oh, right. Like you don't have to pay for it. Just go. Yeah, yeah. A lot of our conversations in the van, <laughs> even in that early, were, were conducted at like shouting volume. Right? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> The special relationships between oh, band members. God. Yeah. But we pull through the toll booth and get our ticket and then we're immediately like the state trooper is on us like ugly on a gorilla. So they pull us over and it's starting to snow, it's fucking freezing. <laughs> and they pull us all out of the van and we're all standing lined up on the shoulder mm-hmm. and he's walking up and down and he's asking us questions. Like, what were you trying to hide in the van? And oh, we were like geez. And we had already disconnected. We didn't yeah. know what he was talking about. Right. Because like, that was just normal. Yeah, yeah. Like slamming on the brakes right before the thing and just just throwing things around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Life with that band. But um, at some point, he has everybody take out their wallet and get their ID out. And Dan, because he's a city kid, Uh was born in Brooklyn. And even though he ended up growing up most of his life upstate, he retains a lot of those city survival skills. Dan lived in, there was a brief period of time where there was no 5'8". Uh-huh. Um, before they moved to Georgia, and that's a whole other story about how they ended up here. But yeah, Dan would go up to Harlem to get boxing lessons back when that was like yeah. taking your life into your own hands. And, yeah, um, wow. Yeah, so Dan keeps his wallet in his front pocket. That's the long way of saying that he's very keenly aware of pickpockets. Sure, sure. So the guy looks at Dan's license, hands him his license, Dan puts it in his wallet, and the trooper turns away, and Dan puts his wallet in his front pocket. Uh huh. And the trooper turns around and goes, what did you just put down the front of your pants? Oh, my God. Because <laughs> he thinks he saw Dan shove drugs down the front of his pants. Yeah. Dan doesn't even, like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> you know? And the trooper's like, I saw you put something down the front of your pants. And Dan's like, I, I don't know what you And it, Dan has not. <laughs> it's just a classic, like, I'm asking a specific question, and I'm hearing a different question. Like, exactly. It's a complete breakdown in communication. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. And so the All trooper. the cold on the side of the road in the snow. He's got his mag light, and he goes, I'm going to need to take a look down there. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Dan says, you're not going to take me to dinner first? <laughs> <laughs> what did he say to the cocktail? Well, the tension was broken at that point. <laughs> nice. Like, okay. Dan's not freaking out. <clears throat> if he had put drugs down the front of his pants, he would have been super tense. Right. Right. Yeah. But uh, that's good. At that point, everyone kind of calms down. <laughs> trooper still wants to have a look, so yeah. Dan undoes the front of his pants, and uh, the trooper shines a light in there, and then goes, "Well, nothing down there." And Dan says, "I beg your pardon." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So we loaded back up, and we went to Portland, Maine, and played Club Babyhead. Yeah. Um, this week, we'd like to spotlight Girls Rock Athens, a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering girls and women of all backgrounds and abilities through music education, creation, and performance. They provide leadership opportunities, build self esteem, and provide girls with a safe space to express themselves. You can check them out at girlsrockathensga.org. That address again is girlsrockathensga.org. We now return you to our regularly scheduled program. I think that was Portland. That's great. But yeah, that was... Uh, Were you with Powder Room when the band blew up? I was. 
Yeah. So that's something dangerous. No, yeah. man. I've heard that story from Gene a few times. So yeah. we played Chapel Hill in that van that was a Dodge van. By the way, I love Gene. He's one of my favorite Athens people. I do too. Yeah. I, I didn't leave that band because I didn't love the band. And yeah. I'm super stoked that this Chris Mollick kid who's taken my place in that band is so good. Yeah. He's that's so good. Awesome. I, I was a little irritated when I saw them because he solved a couple of problems <laughs> that I, you know, as a drummer, you guys know that those yeah. sections, the guitar players like, and then it goes like this and you're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? Right. It's on an off beat and it's moving in a different direction from the rest of your body. And if you're hitting super hard, you've got uh-huh. to like suddenly change directions. And I was just never able to make a couple of those things feel right. Yeah. They sounded okay. To you, they never right. felt right. Yeah. And I went to see them with Chris and he was like, fucking solving every one of those problems. Yeah, like, God damn it. Bastard. <laughs> hey, get the fuck up. Those are my songs. <laughs> That's it. I've had enough. Right. I, I saw how you fixed it. I'll use that from now on. Right. I was like, I was like, you should come do a couple of practice with the 5A. <laughs> steal some stuff from you. Get me out of these jams. So we played Chapel Hill and we stayed at my friend Alex's house. Um, and the next morning we got up and got in the van and we were heading home. We, it was my first run with, I had just joined Powder Room. Like, yeah. Patrick's old drummer left the band in pretty explosive circumstances, and, and it was all on like Facebook. Spinal Tap and, explosive. Uh, yeah, that was that was like drums by the trash can. Right, dumpster. more like yeah, more like trouble at Peyton Place. Yeah, okay. yeah. wow. Um, and uh, I didn't want to be the asshole to be like, oh, there's drums by the dumpster. They're really nice drums. Uh, where are they? <laughs> yes. You know, I didn't want to be that asshole because I knew like the situation was already blowing up. I didn't want to be the one to be like. I'm gonna go get those drums cash i'm gonna be straight with you that's exactly why i contacted you (laughs) free drums i was like hey if you need someone to fill in for any dates you know let me know and where are those drums again yes i never came clean with that gene if he hears this he's gonna be like motherfucker Uh, but um i told gene i could fill in for any dates and they were like yeah we got a week-long run of dates in north carolina i'm like i'm from north carolina that'd be great you know yeah um, I was born in North Carolina and moved to South Georgia. Sure. My dad came back from Vietnam. But um, so I went, we did those shows and they were great. And, and I had a great time. And um, we were coming home and we got in the van that morning and it was cold. And we started the van and immediately it smelled like gas. Mm. But that's not unusual in a <laughs> no, carbureted van. vehicle. Yeah. But that's a fuel injection engine. And I was sort of processing all that in my head. Like, you shouldn't smell gas. And, I thought, well, maybe it's just running rich, and I'm just smelling it in the exhaust because it's cold. You know, yeah, the choke has it's actuated, and we drove about fifty feet, and it was like, okay, now I can taste gas. Oh like, god, it was so strong. Yeah, and I, we were basically just about to pull out on the road, and and I said, man, let's let's look under the hood, and see if we see anything. And Bubba put the van in park, and it went boom, boom. like we heard the ignition. The ignition of the, of the oh yeah. my, god. like. <laughs> It, I was like, okay, we're on fire. You yeah. know, and everyone was kind of like, what? Is this really happening? Yeah. And I went into crisis mode immediately and was like, all right, everybody out of the van, give me the keys. And I unlocked the back of the van. I started throwing guitars. Yeah. Or actually, the first thing that was drums. And I had two sets of drums in the van because I had just bought a set of drums. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I haven't even played these yet. <laughs> and I was throwing them as far as, as I could. And uh, and I handed, <laughs> I handed, Gene was like not only afraid for his own physical well-being, yeah. but also this is the most expensive thing that he owns is this van and it's, yeah. it's burning. Yeah. So I hand, and so he's in full panic mode and I hand him like a floor time or something and he runs away with it and he just 
keeps running. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, I needed your help. Get back here. At the time, I thought, where the fuck is he going? Yeah. And, and they were all like, uh-huh. you know, the van's on fire and it's full of gasoline. Yeah. And uh, he was actually running to get help. But I thought, oh. man, he's in full fight or flight like, mode. Yeah, he was just, I'm gone. He runs all the way back to Athens. I mean, some say he's running to this day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Little Gene never stopped running. Right. <laughs> But he went inside and got on the phone and they called the Carborough Fire Department and I'm throwing equipment and and Bubba helped me up to the point where it became stupid. He was like, like well, the flames were for real. Right. Yeah. But I was sort of doing the calculations like, well, the, the, the fire's down there and the gas tank's here. So I have until it makes it to here to get everything out. Right. Yeah. But like no one, like if the airbag had blown, I would have been hit by shrapnel. And right. Help. But it was yeah. really stupid. But But that was some nice equipment. There's some nice stuff in there. I saved everything but two 4x12s and a V4. Wow. And if I'd grabbed the V4, I'd probably still be in the van. Yeah. Those way I mean, so heavy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But I just was just doing the math the whole time. Like, Uh I probably got another 40 seconds. Probably another 30 seconds. All right, down to like, you know. And then there was a state trooper all of a sudden who was like, I think you're done here, son. (laughs) <laughs> it's like you didn't know they pulled up just all of a sudden I never saw him until yeah. here beside right. you was right like, there I think you're done here you're like right. shit did I just die right yeah. <laughs> oh man if I get to heaven and God is a North Carolina state trooper and just turn oh, no. around oh, yeah <laughs> this went horribly wrong yeah exactly um, who so, knew so then you run then I guess well we it- backed up to what felt like a safe distance and all our equipment was closer to the van than I had hoped it would be when it, when the flames got to be about 50 feet high they were burning the trees above Jesus. the van and yeah. it was like huge and Gene was having nervous breakdown because yeah. it was really really scary for him and um I was doing that thing where you're like, I'm alive and just laughing, you know? Like, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, Holy yeah. shit, look at that like, fucking this thing funny, burn. That's my van. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't my van, and I was just like, how did I get here? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I have a kid and a wife, and, yeah. you know, we've been sleeping on floors for a week, and now all of our shit nearly burned up. And, like, yeah. It's going to burn up still because it's pretty hot. You it's know? pretty close to it, yeah. And Alex, the guy who owns the house that we stayed at, was like, maybe you should come inside. Was it, So this was outside of his uh, house. I just you hadn't even like, gotten away. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we'd only driven probably 50 yards. So, of course, also, this is the morning, so you're groggy, and like everybody's like, ugh. It was just a nightmare. Yeah. That uh, was it was worst. like a bad dream. Yeah. Um, and I was treating it in many ways like, well, you know, when this is all over, I'll wake up in my own bed. You know, <laughs> right. um, Yeah. I probably wasn't being as safe as I should have been. Sure. I was really worried about my stuff and their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There was one and point in the new drum set that you hadn't even played yet. <laughs> it was a 60s three ply Ludwig. Oh, know? man. I was like, I'm yeah. not leaving that in there. Dude, yeah. I, have a, I had a 68. I think we might have talked about this, but the same story. I had a 68 that I was living in LA. I let them keep it to try out new drummers, saying they were going to ship it back to me. And they kept never it. did. Nobody ships a drum set. Yeah. I wouldn't I, have trusted them. I ship one a month. Yeah, they, I, well, yeah, yeah I because guess. I'm horse trading. You know, <laughs> I got a FedEx account just for that. Just for drums. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. Woodshedrums.com, folks. If you want to buy a vintage drum set. Nice. I'm okay. about to hit good, up with me and be like, all right, hold on to it for like six months right. and I will buy it from you. I think <laughs> so I've always wanted one of those those tricks. Yeah. So that's like the scariest road story. Yeah, that's got to be the worst, right? But, well. <laughs> no. Or is there worse? <laughs> there was a guy who tried to kill me in Birmingham. Okay, go right, on. Go on. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I want to hear this one. <laughs> we played a show at the... Um, uh, a place called Zydeco in Birmingham. Mm. We've played every bar that's ever had live music in Birmingham. We played the Nick. Oh, you know, we never played Bottle Tree. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm 
I mean, Five Eight may have played Bottle Tree the years that I was out of the band. Okay. I played in Five Eight right up until 1999, after the major label deal and and you know a thousand shows, yeah, like fifteen hundred shows we played, and I finally Whew. just was like, I think it's time for me to go back to school. Yeah. yeah. Um. But we played in Birmingham, and there was a girl there that I was friends with. Honest to God, just friends with. Uh-huh. You know, um, really beautiful redheaded girl. Uh. She was breaking up with this crackhead guy. It was really crazy. You know, if that's ever the jumping off point for uh-huh. a hangout, maybe just go to the hotel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe know? go like, I oh, know we're good. Yeah. But we were staying with a friend there um, on top of one of those, like in those neighborhoods that look out over the whole city, mm-hmm. you know, and she had to go by her place to get some stuff and she was leaving town the next day and she was scared of this dude and she didn't want to be at home because he was on some kind of crazy powder drug bender. And Yeah. So we went to her place and we got our clothes and stuff and in her car and we're driving up and it's one of those like streets in Birmingham that's like a lane and a half that goes up to the top <laughs> of the hill and you're kind of weaving in and Yeah. And she's telling me, you know, I know this neighborhood. This is where what's his name used to come by 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 Coke or whatever the fuck he was doing. And I swear it's at the top of this hill. Oh my God, he's right behind us. Oh geez. And like suddenly less like headlights like on either side of the car this guy's zigzagging oh, back wow. and forth like you know, he's in this mirror he's in that mirror he's yeah. in this mirror and he's like honking his horn and he's revving his engine and she's like what do I do and I'm like don't stop yeah oh so she's driving she's driving yeah, yeah. Right? I'm so, in the passenger right. seat so obviously he recognizes the car oh, yeah he knows exactly who he's behind yeah, and yeah. there's a male there's yep. a guy in the car, in with car. Her. Yeah. and he's just like you know three or four days into a coke bender and just boiling Oh man. Out of his mind. And so we go like we're doing like thirty five miles an hour up this thing. And uh-huh. like and she's like she starts to speed up. I'm like, this is not the don't speed up. Yeah. Because it's there's like a you know, drop down to the city on the left. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> don't, don't lose control of the car. Yeah. We just gotta go to the police station. Where's the police, to the police she's station? Like, I don't know. Right, yeah. I'm gonna ask you again. Yeah. Where's the Figure police station? Right? <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, oh, it's at the bottom of the hill on the other side of the hill. I'm like, yeah. all right, let's go to the police station. Yeah. And you get to the top of the hill and there's an apartment complex up there. And I was like, there's the van. <laughs> you know? oh. <laughs> You're like, boy, I made the wrong choice right. tonight. There's where I should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're safe. They're probably yeah. already asleep. Yeah. You know? oh. And we start this race down the other side of the hill and it widens out. Uh-oh. And there's somebody from Birmingham hearing this now. I was like, oh, I live on this hill. Um, yeah. Yeah, because this is like it's very distinct. It's this long drive up, and then it's uh, much wider going down. And he's like racing around us, you know, and like sideways on the road. And I'm like, and I'm telling, I'm, I'm coaching her, um, yeah, because I'm weirdly calm. I'm like, <laughs> all right, all right, speed up, speed up, slow down, you know. And like he's behind us. I'm like, all right, just go slow, just get off the mountain. And he comes racing around us, and I'm like, okay, like just let him go. Yeah, and he pulls sideways, like. And he opens the door. I'm like, all right, get on it. Go, go, go. You know? And so we're racing down. He's like, he slams in like a fucking full-on car chase, like like <laughs> crashing the car. And he goes by us and we go around him and he comes around again. And it's like, and. He was actually like slamming into Oh, yeah. No, he he's out of his fucking mind. It's completely <laughs> crazy. Like he wants her and me both dead. Yeah. And he's got a car. That's right. the only weapon he's got. Thank God. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So we end up in this crazy like. 
Steve McQueen race down the yeah, mountain. Yeah, was the bullet in Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we finally get to the bottom of the mountain, and the police station is like a block away. You yeah. Know? And I'm like, um, go, 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 go. You know, and that's a big, wide, like lit like driveway, and I could, that's all I could see. Like, oh, my God, we can just get to the police station. And we, we get like right there, and he, bam, hits us from behind. No way. Yeah, and like she straightens out and guns it, and we just boom into the police station. Oh man! And then he just goes racing off. So he takes off. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And we walk inside to the area because police stations are open all night. And they're like mm-hmm. Hardee's, you know. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's probably about as good. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a guy behind the counter. I said, "You guys know who Nipsey Russell is? Yeah, yeah uh-huh. of course. The yeah. guy behind the counter looks exactly and talks exactly <laughs> like Nipsey Russell. That's amazing. And he's like, well, can I have y'all with something? <laughs> you know? And she starts to tell the whole story and now she's calm and uh-huh. I, I can't stop shaking. Yeah. Like, I have to like sit down. You realize like, what just happened. Right, my knees go out and, yeah. and um, she's like, you know, she's giving. She's like, it's a name, it's, and and she tells him, tells the guy his name and all that, and super calm. And I'm like, 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 there's a medical term, phoresis, which is the term for cold sweat and nausea. Okay. And I'm in like full yeah. phoresis, <laughs> like sitting there in the police station. And I'm sure anybody who walks by is like, okay, coming off yeah. something serious, <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yes, I, I need to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> and then while we're there. We hear the like back door of the police station dramatically like bang open. Fly, and there's yeah. all this screaming and uh, <laughs> like he's going. I can't. I don't want to say her name. Um, yeah, because he's screaming her name. And, yeah, like they just picked him. He's doing like 95 wow. through downtown oh, so Birmingham. Just, yeah, so they uh, just pulled him over right. and brought him in. Like we've been there like 15 minutes and like boing here like, he yep, is. There's the guy. <laughs> and so now I'm in like full anxiety attack. Like he's here. It's like yeah. Freddy fucking Krueger or something. Right. You know, like yeah. and um he's found me. But no, they've got him in like shackles and stuff, and they wow. take him back. So yeah, man, that's wow. uh, that's a good one. There's that's, another that's, one I, yeah. in Mississippi. Once we went and stayed with this group of people, we played like Hattiesburg. Like uh-huh. for some reason, Five A did really well in Bayou Country, and we played like, Hattiesburg yeah. and Starkville. Yeah, Oxford was really nice town, very sort of Athens of Mississippi, uh-huh. and, and we would play Jackson. But we played in like I guess Hattiesburg or somewhere, and we ended up at these people's house. And I was always a night owl. I would stay up late. And, yeah. And hang out and all the things that sort of come along with that. And um, <laughs> about four o'clock in the morning, the conversation turned to to issues of race, and it turns out that like the two guys are both in the fucking clan. Oh, Jesus. oh, god! So uh, here are me and Dan Horowitz and yeah. Mike Mantioni. <laughs> <Right. you know? laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they're sound asleep and these guys I, I said something disparaging about the clan and they were like hey man you oh. know and like they pull the fucking cards out They all those dudes in the invisible what? empire they have a secret yeah. handshake and they have a special card and they pull the cards out and it says you've been paid a, a social visit by the royal knights of the Ku Klux Klan Holy don't make the next shit. visit a business visit Oh, you know, don't like it's what? A, don't make the next visit a business visit. Right. <laughs> what these shit? So, like, if, if if the clan wants to like intimidate you, they'll leave one of these they'll cards. Keep, so they gave you the card? No, they just showed, showed me the card. Oh. Yeah, they're like, I don't think you understand what yeah. people in Mississippi are up against. They're and like, I'm like, come on, keep making fun. <laughs> yeah. And the girls like, y'all put that away. Y'all just don't, just don't be like that. And oh I was like, God. y'all are gonna upset him. I'm like, they've upset me. You yeah, know? <laughs> too late. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wanted wow. to get out of there right then. Yeah. You know? um, but it was like. Hey guys, get up. Guys, we're we're yeah. fucking leaving. This is about to turn into Green Room. Let's go. God, I've got another story like Yet that. Yet again, we yeah. bring up Green Room. <laughs> I mean, we stayed on the road for so long. And 
when you talk to someone like Jim Hawkins, who owns 1093 Studios and did a bunch of stuff with the Allman Brothers in the uh-huh. 60s, in the 70s, you find out like touring then was absolutely the Wild West. Yeah. Like there were no PAs. Right. Like you toured with a PA or you rented a PA and they could be any number of configurations and powers. And, yeah. And, you know, everything from the quality of, of sound reinforcement to the quality of law enforcement to the quality <laughs> of drugs, like everything yeah. was different from from one county to the next. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Almonds would play Albany and, you know, Montgomery and, yeah. and Starkville and Hattiesburg and all those places. And they just never know what they were going to roll up on. And some yeah. of their stories are crazy. But we were still on the coattails of that. Like, yeah. You know, we we rolled up to Mobile, Alabama one time at a club called Vincent Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. All the people in the story except us are dead, by the way. Wow. I feel like, a, how long was Vincent Van Gogh there? Well, Vinnie Van Gogh is a, is a, is a pizza place in Savannah, and that still exists. But okay. Vincent Van Gogh, the club in Mobile, was run by a guy named Bubba and his sound man, Stubber. Um, Stubber? <laughs> and... I, I think that place just existed to launder drug money because yeah. we rolled up and there was no PA huh. to play there once. And um, Stubber showed up late and we were standing there on the stage. I don't remember how he got in. Oh, the owner's girlfriend. She's still alive. <laughs> the one person who survived right, the story. Right, Um And she let us in and we were standing on the stage and Stubber showed up. We we're like, hey, man. He's like, hey. We're, like, we're, we're playing tonight? Oh. <laughs> There's no PA? Oh, hell. (laughs) (laughs) And so he left ostensibly to get a PA, and he came back like two hours later with like three big bags of ice. We were like, you got a PA? He's like, God damn it. Oh, my God. (laughs) I knew it. There was two things I needed. I knew I needed ice, and I I just couldn't remember the other one. (laughs) Yeah, that place was wild. Man. You know, and we would would do so well in Pensacola. 5-8 did so well in Pensacola. Really? Yeah, there was a club there called Sluggos, and we played their Mm -hmm. opening for Love Tractor one night. Mm -hmm. And the owner of the club was like, can you guys come back next Sunday? (laughs) And we were like, sure it's like you're my new favorite band yeah and so he did a thing he called the beer buffet which Uh is like you pay one cost of the door you get all the miller light you can drink okay and he would do that for bands he really loved and the club would get completely packed full of people with a belly full of light beer yeah you know they would just go bananas yeah and and we we were we were made men in Pensacola from then on. That's I had a awesome. girlfriend down there for a while. Like we would go there every six to eight weeks and yeah. make enough money to pay all of our bills for right. a long time. Wow. We would sometimes have to do two or three shows. There's a show. Yeah. You know, you should get Mike on here and ask him about Pensacola sometime. Yeah. Specifically the Roman candle. Okay. I'll let Mike tell okay. you that story. That'll be his. <laughs> yeah. That's good. So uh so speaking of Mike's and mm-hmm. speaking of time and whatever, now you are touring again yes with a different mike mike mills mike mills yeah in the concerto project yeah tell us about that a little bit so um this is doesn't mike doesn't he cover a mummy song so <laughs> mike and peter are both big garage rock fans peter more than anybody okay. peter buck oh, has peter buck who covers him well planet I'm, of the I, apes so yeah um i saw the labrea stompers do that one night oh the labrea stompers man that was in that band for a while. You were in La Brea Stompers? Dan and I were both in La Brea Stompers, and we got recruited away to play full-time with 5-8. Jim Stacy. I saw yeah. La Brea Stompers several times with Manor Asterman. One of the best shows uh, was the recording of the live Manor Asterman mm-hmm. album, was La Brea Stompers at, Open. Was that at the point? Or? That was in Gainesville at... Uh, Covered oh, Dish. Covered Dish, yes. Yeah. Bill. 
Yes. Bryson. Bill Bryson. Who's yep. just put out a book. Oh, hmm. has he? Uh, he was in uh, The Causeway. Yes. Yeah. So the Bill Bryson's book is a bunch of photos from the covered dish area. Oh, man, really? I was yeah. at most of those I think shows. my feet are on the cover. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, awesome. it's a shot like of the... So Archer's is loafing 5-8 tour, and I talked to Matt Gentling like last week, and he was telling me that Bill had showed him a picture of the cover, and it's all of our ratty-ass old comments. <laughs> you know what? I bet I was at that nice. show. I was, from, the t- from high school on, from, so from like 93 to 94, I was at... I lived in Jacksonville, and if I wasn't at a show in Jacksonville, I was at a show in Gainesville. Did you go to college in Gainesville? No, but my but me and my brother were the younger of the four, and by the time, there's like 10 years that separates me and my oldest sister. Mm-hmm. By the time it got to us, we both got good grades, and we both didn't do any drugs or anything. Like Even still now, I I drink. That's I don't even smoke pot, but um, my mom would let us go to shows as long as we went uh, got up the next morning and went to school. And got decent grades. You know, the great, the, 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 the joys of the liberty of being the youngest child. Right. You yeah. Know, like yeah. we fought all Which these you can battles. Get away with. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Us older siblings. Yeah. Like Palace, so, Yola Tango, La Brea Stompers. Yeah. Palace meaning Palace Brothers. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, everybody that came through Covered Dish, we I used yeah. to go see. So, 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 so Peter has this, Peter worked at Walk Street downtown and was a mm-hmm. big record collector, and that's kind of, Sort of the, was the nexus of the interest of all the guys in the room because they have such disparate taste. Yeah, know? and Mike is this sort of Holly's, um, Graham Parsons like influenced real pop guy, uh-huh. and he's written a suite of songs for um, rock band, chamber orchestra, and solo violin. And that's he grew up with this guy uh, Bobby McDuff, Robert McDuffie. Sorry, <laughs> Bobby to his friends. Um, <laughs> And uh, we're doing this tour with the full chamber orchestra. Me and Will, William Tonks and, and John Neff and Mills plays bass, guitar, and piano at different times. And uh, this guy who plays violin, like, you've never seen anything like it. Yeah. He's a world-famous concert violinist. His violin's worth $6 million. His violin what? is? Yeah. Jesus. He, like, throws it under restaurant tables. <laughs> I'll be, be like, like eating a meal with my foot on it so I won't forget oh it. Like, yeah, I'd be constantly know. reminding him, like, you better be really cool, man. That's a six million dollar instrument. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, a cavalier about. There's it, some you know? things I could fund with that violin. Yeah. yeah. So how many people are are touring in this? Thing? So we're we're touring with a with a professional touring string company, and there's mm-hmm. 17 of them. Wow. There's three of us in the band and Mike, so that's 21. Bobby McDuffie is 22. We have um, a tour manager, 23, an equipment manager, 24, and a front of house manager, 25 people. Minimum. Yeah. It's going to be at least 25. How is this logistically? What are you in? Buses? Multiple buses? I fly on Wednesday for the first rehearsal so on Thursday, just, and really? we'll see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. I, I'm sure we're going to be in a bus. Because you played some shows, right? Or- yeah, but in those shows, we used local orchestras. Like, okay. We played in Toronto, okay. and we used the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. What's interesting about that is like we were there first because Mike runs a pretty tight ship. Yeah. Um, and we set up all our equipment, and the string players from the orchestra began to filter in and they were like, Oh, the rock people are here. <laughs> you know, it was really, they're, yeah, all, yeah. they're all union musicians. Right. They're all people who went to conservatory and mm-hmm. they've done nothing but violin or viola or cello or bass for their entire lives. And yeah. Here's a bunch of fucking cigarette smoked, stinking yeah, right, yeah. alcohol. Drink guys out of here. Skirt chasing rock and roll guys. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. But then Bobby McDuffie walked in mm. and they're like, look, it's Robert McDuffie. You know, and there was all this, like, you know, like, <laughs> so he's the respect that comes with it that everybody goes, okay, okay. I mean, he's, he's a virtuoso wow. in the classic sense of the word. 
You know? Yeah. There's only so many of those people in the world, and yeah. he's one of them. And to play with him is to see it firsthand, and it's breathtaking. It's yeah. literally breathtaking. That's awesome. The songs are that Mike has written are sort of. Cla- I mean, one of them is. Uh, we were we were rehearsing it, and I thought I feel like I'm in REM right now. Like yeah. we're playing an REM song. Yeah. And that's crazy. But then instead of having a lead vocalist, you have this like Paganini level. Like, yeah. You know, so it's all instrumental then. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That sounds awesome. It's Is pretty it, crazy. It's pretty. Uh, pretty man. Cool. There are moments. Making me jealous, actually. There are moments where I'm surrounded by the. I'm the. I sit furthest back in the rock band, and the orchestra sort of pressed up against me. And there are moments where I'm not playing, and and I just feel like I'm floating. Like yeah. this incredible sound of a string orchestra. Like yeah. In your eat like over your shoulder, like right? Being whispered to by. <laughs> that's amazing. You're just like enveloped. Ever just transcendental. Yeah, that's great. I, I would I would have to like keep from just stripping, taking my pants off in the middle of that. <laughs> well, there are t- I think there are 4,000 people, people watching. Yeah, yeah. Still, just like, like you feel like you're floating. You, you get lost in the moment. And you're like, mm-hmm. this is the greatest feeling of my life. I'm taking my pants off. It is pretty good. <laughs> There's a little bit of tension and stress in, because as a drummer, if you begin to rush, uh-huh. you're, oh, yeah, you're yeah. pulling an army of cats. Right. You know, like yeah. they're all going to come at their own pace. They're probably all kind of locked in with because the of the conductor. sheet music, right, and the conductor, right. yeah. But if you start to rush, the conductor will try to chase you, and then it's right. going to be a fucking shit show. Yeah. You know? so, oh, man, I didn't even think yeah. about that. You it all pivots have on the me. stress yeah. of all of that. <laughs> yeah. And I get excited right. and, and rush. So you're like, yeah. And Mills <laughs> has been like, no click. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I respect that. There shouldn't be a... Cl- I mean... I've well. got it on my stand, and every now and then I'll be like, just checking. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you know, I'll just turn it on and turn it off for a second. Yeah. Interestingly, Mills has like this weirdly like Ringo Starr-ish like, ability to recall a tempo to the fucking beat. Really? Like, he'll start a song at 48 beats per minute on the walls. Yeah. And we'll rehearse it like six times and the next day he'll walk in and he'll start it at exactly 48 beats per minute i'm like how do you do that yeah that's incredible i mean i can't remember i can't hold a tempo through the first course you know right yeah he's had it gets exciting yeah he's had 11 beers and eight hours of sleep you know and right (laughs) right back at zero like how the fuck do you do that you know so that's next week monday night at um at hugh hodgson hall here yeah oh wait uh you guys are playing yes here in athens um next monday a week from today. Yeah. Well, I don't know when this is airing, but a week from the taping. Yes. Yeah. The 24th of so October. I didn't know this. I would before I, it comes out. I really want to go to this. Yeah. Is it already sold out? I don't know. Shit. Yeah. I don't know. I would really like if to If only see you this. had a way to find out. Uh, I, <laughs> oh, we do. You know, um, that's, uh, I don't think, I think it's worth mentioning that the fucking internet has changed everything about touring. Oh, everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. Internet and cell phones. I mean, Jesus. Too Back many when times you we've been map. an hour and a half from a venue and it's load in time and you're like, well, yeah, I guess we'll see them when we see them. Yep, yeah, exactly. Or find a pay phone. Let's a see if pay we phone. can. Yeah. Yeah. Pay phone. Oh yeah. The line of, yeah. of, the line of band members calling their girlfriends and whatever. And if you were at the end of the line and somebody took too long and you were like, Oh, sorry, dude, I got we don't dumped. have time. I got dumped over the phone uh, on my birthday. Uh, I was in Boise, Idaho. Uh, <laughs> of all the places to be, too. Just got yeah. a haircut from a drunk barber from Basque country. Wow. The the, the, the like, it's so many, so much alliteration, people think I'm making it up. Right, right. No, totally. Yeah, yeah that sounds like lyrics. That's yeah, the good. Boise with a barber from Basque. Country. Right, the Basque barber <laughs> Boise, who was barracho. You know, like, um, That's amazing. But I went to the payphone and... I called my girlfriend and I hadn't been able to find her at her house and I called my house and she picked up and I was like, oh, hey, what are you doing at my house? She's like, 
I'm getting my stuff. Boom. I was yeah. like, getting your stuff? Yeah. And she was moving out. Yeah. And, um, yeah, man, that was tough. life on the road, man. I mean, that's, yeah. That's Started what, smoking cigarettes again that that's, day. That's I've been off for like two yeah. years, you know. <laughs> it was like hung up and walked right into a 7 Eleven. It was like, I can start drinking again, but I don't really want to ruin my life. So right. I started about a camel's pack. So I'll just start smoking again. I, I, yeah, I still have a very yeah. clear memory of leaving for tour. My girlfriend at the time just going, like a look on her face. <laughs> I won't be here when you get like, back. <laughs> fuck you, yeah. waving at you. I'll find someone half, to feed your dog. Yeah. 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 Like half kind of waving, like, yeah. Fuck you. Later. See you. It was later. funny is that dichotomy between what they think it's like right. and what it's yeah. like. You're going to be on the road having oh, fun. Totally. I'm like, oh, wait till you be stubborn. So we played in Baton Rouge once. Okay. And um, when you talk about like being on the road, throwing you insane amounts of unexpected circumstances, we, we played a place called the Bayou. And we showed up. And I don't remember who told us, but it came to our attention that the, the house sound man was not going to be mixing us that night <laughs> because he had a paying gig somewhere else. And that, and that the club owner was going to mix the band. Oh, uh, good. I like that he had a paying gig somewhere that wasn't his job, <laughs> right, which exactly. meant that he wasn't getting right. paid for his job. Right. Yeah. And the club owner was just absolutely, uh, completely inept at mixing sound. Yeah. Did not, and we did an hour and a half sound check, and I have a blood sugar thing. And when I get hungry, I start to get a little crazy, and yeah, I was yeah. like, well, I guess we're done here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, uh, Unless you're a donut, I'm leaving. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, there's, you know, all I was getting out of the monitor was a rainbow of feedback frequencies, oh, you know? And, yeah. And um, so I just walked out and everyone walked out and we went and got some food and we came back and we tried to play a show and there was just so much shit happening. And the audience was giving us that like, you know, uh, Dalmatian hears a strange sound, like head tilt, like, <laughs> yeah. what the uh, hell's going uh. on? Yeah. <laughs> and so finally, Mike started like mocking this dude between songs. They, over our dinner break, we had called other sound men because, you know, Sean's from that area. Oh, yeah. from New Orleans and sure. new people and they were like, We'd call and be like, hey, are uh, you working it? Yeah, I got this thing down at the fairgrounds. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, can can you recommend anybody to come mix at the buy? What about Darren or whatever his name is? Like, is yeah. he mixing? No, he had a paying gig. Yeah. Who's mixing? David, the owner. So David's mixing? Like, uh, look, man, we just need somebody down here. And like, I can't help you. And um, so, you know, David was this like, just bong water smelling, like dreadlocked. <laughs> dirty old dude you know who had a bar in, uh, in Baton Rouge so he didn't have to really work right he's just a really greasy weird dude and Mike started making fun of him from the stage oh like, boy like hey man uh, how about I bring you 20 bucks and you just stop touching that soundboard <laughs> you know <laughs> And it got to the point where Mike like got off the stage and you know very sort of publicly pulled twenty dollars out of his wallet, oh my God. And walked over and handed it to the dude and ran the vocals up in the PA and ran everything else out because we were plenty loud. Right, know? right, sure. And then we had we sounded good for about forty seconds, and then he started and then he started fucking with it again. <laughs> he got so angry with us for making fun of him for being mm-hmm. so bad. Yeah. That he started packing the PA up around us like he just turned the PA. Just unplugging on. everything, just going. Right. Yeah. 
and but we were being played on KLSU, the local radio station. So we were playing the songs that they were playing, and we would go all the way down to just hi hat and muted bass for the verse, and, uh, the, and the audience would sing, yeah, because they knew the words. Then we hit the chorus, and we would just go go completely bananas, and like yeah, and yeah. the audience would sing, and they were just in fucking having because now they're the show too. And yeah, it was, yeah. And it was a full, it was a full house, you know. Yeah. And at some point, Mike saw the dude coming for the microphone and just like <laughs> took it out of the stand and dropped it. Some kid like picked it up and ran away with it. Uh, <laughs> SM58 overboard. Oh. Uh-huh. And we forgot about it. So we finished the show. Owner is nowhere to be seen. The door guy slides up to us and he's like, you guys got all your stuff out of the club? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's time to go. He hands us a wad of cash. What? Yeah, that would stop up a sewer. Like it was yeah. like probably eight, nine hundred dollars in small bills. Yeah. He's like, you probably should get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so we go out to the van and we're like, man, what a weird night. You know, and just like of all the things that could have happened on tour, we didn't expect to have the club owner pack up the PA <laughs> while we were playing. <laughs> um and like the, suddenly the club owner's in the door of the club and it's a big metal door and it's a kids club used to have a kitchen but god I would never touch any food that that guy had any like purview over ever, yeah you know yeah he's like it's all your shit at my club we were like yeah man whatever and he slams the door hard enough he th- like one of those metal doors that he slams it so hard he goes bing you know? <laughs> 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 like, like like when you tap like a a, a pole from a from a chain link fence yeah yeah yes. it's like I, I think it was welded shut it was slammed yeah. so hard and we rolled out of there that night and never went back to the bayou but the next time we played Baton Rouge we played the chimes in the in the sheriff's department we rolled in no yeah, with a warrant for our arrest all of us oh my god because that dude said that we stole his SM58 which some kid ran off with oh my god and then we owed him a thousand dollars for the SM58 in legal fees and the owner of the chimes like we we had a really tense standoff with the yeah. sheriff because I'm like I'll, I'll fucking go to jail yeah you know like yeah and the rest of the band was like no you won't yeah you this know? will not happen <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and um because that means we go to jail mm-hmm. you know yeah. and um and uh the owner of the chimes just walked in with the money and handed it to the sheriff and was like does this cover it and they were like yeah I'm like all right run along let's now. be over with this yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah, so we owed that guy some money for a while. Yeah. We played for free that night. Come and, back and play a couple of times. Well, too. we would send him money from, we yeah. went to Pensacola. That's how we made all our money. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, Man. Wow. That's great. Years later, somebody shot that guy. The owner? David, yeah. Really? Yeah. Over a similar, was he taking the PA down? No, he was running for mayor. Oh, God. One of those, like, <laughs> protest candidate things. Right. Like, oh, I'll tell you, I'll run for mayor. You yeah, know? yeah, and yeah. He was in the bad part of town, and somebody shot him right in the belly. Holy wow. shit. I have an alibi, by the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So where were all the members of Five Eight? You know, there's one more thing, and I want to yeah. talk to you guys about this. For years, I maintained a wiki uh-uh. of places that people would play on the road. Yeah, it was like you know. Um, you, people, I'd, I'd give people accounts, and they'd like put all the clubs in their town and the yeah. places that they played. Yeah, yeah. And then like the closest place with a restaurant re- restroom with a door that locked, you know, <laughs> yeah, like vegetarian <laughs> the, the options nearby. Where to get a yeah. new cup of coffee? Which promoters yeah. to avoid? Yeah, I was doing that for a while and didn't get full the buy-in at the level I wanted to. But that's a great idea. 
I'd love to restart that database idea. like that is fantastic. I mean, it'd be yeah. so useful. Yeah. yeah, it's like book your own fucking life from Maximum Rock and Roll. That's what it inspired. Has, like it has like the right. Modern. I could have used that right now. I'm trying to book a tour for Blunt Banks, and and things are falling apart, and like now we have half a tour. I could definitely yeah. use something like that right Let's, now. I'm trying to book it all myself. If you're listening yeah. to this and you have a computer, I, mean, I would assume. Yeah, uh, I would hope. Let's 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 talk about this going forward in some online forum about the possibility of having yeah. another. That's a good idea, like Just a wiki so, or something like that. It, yeah, I mean, I I I could set up another wiki. The, yeah. I, I had this one. I just left it up, even though because it was starting to fill in with like the UK and EU yeah. venues and stuff too. And then the database got compromised by my host. My my hosting provider didn't had a left a security hole open, and then, of course, and somebody was using it to launch hacks, and they were like. You can either, you know, give us yeah. X number of dollars to clean this out, or you can just take it down and I just wipe them out. Yeah, yeah. that used to happen in the Kindercore site R. all the time. Yeah, we'd have Russian. Literally, it was Russian hackers all the time, every time. Is Even there then. nothing else to do in Russia? I know. Seriously, guys, get a fucking hobby. Right. But um, I think it is their hobby. Yeah. Yeah. I did, yeah, yeah. I guess they had one. They but, um, to, I don't know. They seem to be doing pretty well for themselves, so maybe they did get the right. Yeah, maybe their, that was the right thing for them. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so, how can people? I mean, if you want them to, how can people find you in the world? Like, do you I'm want, on Twitter. Okay. Uh, Twitter.com slash don't fear the Ringo. Uh, there's, okay. there's no E in the V though. It's D O N T T H R I N G O. Okay. I'm on Instagram. Yeah. It's with the full don't fear the Ringo with the E. Okay. Um, I would encourage anybody who's got a love of noise rock and any kind of hard edge music to go to electricalaudio.com and join the forum there. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm part of that forum and they do big festivals of noise rock festivals several times a year and I've done several of those cool you know, seem to love awesome. Athens bands they were all about motherfucker and powder room right? I am proud to say that I was the one who introduced, introduced them to the motherfucker to the PRF the PRF is a facetious somebody was butthurt about something and they said I really expected to be treated better by the premier rock forum on the internet uh, we were like, uh, uh, premier rock forum <laughs> you know and so it became the PRF yeah that's I, lovely I, I feel like I, I think I'm in a group uh, on Facebook with that I don't I'm not very active but I read all of it I'm yeah. not on Facebook um, yeah I just couldn't stand the spectacle of people I loved calling each other fascist and and yeah. commie sympathizer on my Facebook page like yeah there's guys, that yeah you know if you like had your feet under the same table you'd be like oh man you like Neil Young I like Neil Young too but yeah, right, you know, right, as it right. is it was just like you know, yeah it was it's it gets dark man the yeah, internet, especially these days the internet gets dark yeah but um, yeah. Well, thank you for coming on man this yeah. is fantastic I've had yeah. such a good time yeah, thank you it was great. yeah this was fantastic alright yeah, I agree I'm taking my headphones off Thanks for listening to this supersized episode of Load In, Load Out, a tour story podcast produced by me, Bill Fortenberry. Our hosts are Cash Carter and Ryan Lewis. We can be found at Load In, Load Out on Twitter and Facebook, and the store is always open at kindercore.com. We here at Load In, Load Out encourage you to vote in the upcoming election and remember the words of Benjamin Franklin, one of America's original super freaks, who said, We must indeed all hang together, or most assuredly, we shall all hang separately. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.